world is a vampire. from DraftTV.com. And Shane, we are uh, just under, I think, two months away from the 2015 NFL Draft. And I, I don't want to say this is a dead period, but it, it, it's, we're kind of in between things. We're kind of in between the scouting combine. And, and the pro days have started, but they're not necessarily in full swing yet. So in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about pro day results. But since we have a little bit of a, a lull in the action here, uh, we thought it would be maybe a good time to just take a, a swing around the NFL draft world. And what we did is we each came up with five topics, whether it be teams, players, just scenarios that, that kind of interest us. They're kind of on our minds as the draft quickly approaches here and and we're just going to kind of discuss them so uh so that's the game plan for this show uh and let's start Shane the, the one thing that I, I think is on a lot of people's minds is the edge rushers especially the top group and I, I think we have four maybe even five guys kind of jockeying for position in the top half of the first round Dante Fowler from Florida Randy Gregory from Nebraska Shane Ray from Missouri Vic Beasley from Clemson and then I think you could probably throw Bud Dupree from Kentucky into that mix as well, but I think the consensus is those are the top five, but I don't think there's any type of consensus in terms of who's one, who's two, who's three, who's four, who's five. I think it's it comes down to who you're talking to, and I think different teams and different people are going to prefer different players, and I guess I have two angles on this that interest me. One is that I think the reason Dante Fowler is getting so much love is because I think he's clearly the safest of the bunch. I mean, he's a good player. He checks all the boxes physically. I think he has the potential to be even more than he is. My biggest issue with him, and the reason I just haven't really understood the hype on Dante Fowler is just wasn't, didn't make the, as many impact plays as I'd like to see for a guy that's being talked about as maybe a top three top five overall pick whereas if you watch Gregory or Ray or Beasley you see those flashes uh, of, of impact potential I don't know that you saw that consistently enough with Fowler so that's why I'm a little hesitant on Fowler maybe not as high on him as some people but um, I, I think because he is probably the safest I think that's why he's getting the edge and why people a lot of people have him number one even though maybe he doesn't have as much uh, his ceiling isn't as high as the co- his co- colleagues. I think he's got a higher floor. But uh, but I, I think if, when it comes down to it, Gregory, Ray, Beasley, all of those guys have potentially fatal flaws. 
Uh, I, I think them they're all talented. They all could be outstanding players at the next level, but there's bust potential there too. Uh, I, I think they're risky, whereas with Fowler, you might not get you might not get the best case scenario, but you know you're, you, there's some cost certainty there with him. So, so let's start with that. Do you, do you kind of agree that that's kind of the case with these top group of pass rushers and why Fowler is maybe a little more highly regarded than the others, or do you have another take on it? What's what's your thoughts on it? I, I think I think what you say is true with all five being very good. Um, and having those those flashes, especially the guys that you mentioned, uh, but it's a scary position when you talk about flaws because we I think we've seen some of these pass rushers that get drafted high just not quite work out. I mean, look at look at Deion Jordan from two years ago, where kind of kind of like Randy Gregory, where you showed those flashes of brilliance in college, and he could stand up and he could put his hand down. He could do different things with them. And Miami just hasn't done that with him. And you haven't put him in a situation where he could be great in the NFL. So I think, I think that's why Fowler's a little bit higher. And I think it's right along the lines of what you're saying, Scott, is he's safer and I, you know where you can put him, you know what he can do, and you know he can be effective at it. Whereas I think the other – uh, the other four guys, because I, I think Bud Dupree's in there as well. I think I think all five of these players um, could go in the top 12 of the draft. So when when you put that in perspective, how many teams need pass rushers? This is a pretty good class when we're talking about five guys in the top half of the first round. That's pretty darn good. Um, but the Gregory, Ray, Beasley, if if they can't do what they do really well, if they're not going to be in position to do what they do really well, then they're not going to be successful. You know, if they're, if they're not able to make those big plays, then they're not even going to be serviceable, and you're going to have a backup on your hands. I think, I think Fowler is the guy that you know is probably going to be a solid starter in the NFL. Um, you know, Melvin Ingram, uh, for example, is a guy that, that the Chargers drafted. He's dealt with injuries, but when he's been there, he's been a solid starter, maybe not great, but you kind of knew what you were getting. And I think Dante Fowler is a player that you can plug in and you know what he could do against a run. You know he's going to give you the high motor. You know he's going to give you the, the work ethic. You know he's going to be pretty good. Whereas I think if, if, if uh, let's say, Shane Ray can't shed a block, I mean, do you, do you know that he's gonna? You're gonna be able to put him on the field? Yeah, so I think that's that's the risk that Gregory Ray and Beasley and Dupree have is I don't think for sure that you know 100% that they if if they have their their weaknesses are and their flaws are shown that they're gonna be um, starters. But the potential is that any any of these four guys could be top five pass rushers in the NFL. I think all four of them have qualities about them where they could become stud, pro bowl, all pro pass rushers. And that's a chance you have to take in the NFL draft. So uh, I, I, I think teams have to find the right fit for them. I think teams have to know who they're taking, how they're going to use them, and that they're going to be effective in that. And I think that's where you get into problems a lot of times is if the guy you want gets taken right before you and you take the backup guy that you hadn't really planned on taking, then you might not have drafted a guy that's actually going to fit what you do very well. Well, and, and I think specifically in regards to Gregory Ray and Beasley, it's very easy to make a case for them, but it's equally as easy to make a case against them. Uh, uh, as I said, I think they're all potentially fatally flawed for as talented as they are, whereas with Fowler, I think it's a little harder to make a case against him. I don't think there's one thing you look at Fowler and say, boy, if he doesn't improve this or if he can't do this, he's going to be out of the league in three years. I, I think Fowler, I think, he, I think we know he's going to be at least a solid player. 
But I, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, Shane, but I, I did some more work on these guys just to kind of kind of cement my own opinions. And I don't know that there's a huge difference between Fowler and Bud Dupree from Kentucky. I, I really don't. And, and in, in fact, what it came down to for me, the, I, the reason I gave Fowler the ever so slight edge is just I think he played harder and faster, a little more consistently. When I watched Dupree, there was moments where I don't know if it was a lack of hustle. I don't necessarily think it was that or if it's just instincts where he's late to react. That, that was the one difference that why I gave Fowler the edge, but I think it's awfully close. And I, I tell you what, I mean, if, if it's a choice of having Fowler in the top three overall or Dupree in you know, the top 15 overall, I, I don't think there's that much of a difference. I don't know. Uh, do you agree with that? Disagree? Do you think there's a, a kernel of truth in there? No truth at all? What, what are your kind of thoughts on that? Because I was kind of surprised by how close I found it because, as I said, Fowler is the, the guy with the hype right now. And I think if the draft were held today, I'd probably say he's the favorite to be the first of these edge rushers off the board. But uh, I, I just... I just I've never been as high on Fowler. I understand why people like him because of the safe factor, but I'd be reluctant to take him in the top three overall. You know, I think what separates it, and Fowler's my number two behind Gregory, but uh, I like all I like all five of these players. I've tried to I've tried to find maybe Shane Ray's the one I kind of like the least or feel I feel the most queasy about when I think about what they're going to do in the NFL. But uh, I I think all five could be really good. So uh, to to me. I, I like Fowler because of that that effort that effort piece where he's I mean he's going off of his feet to to get over offensive tackles and get at the quarterback and he's uh, he's going for it. I think it's something that Bud Dupree doesn't always do. There's some games where I felt good about that, and then and when I watched some more games of his, uh, it didn't seem like he always had that 100% effort or um, or he, he was just sluggish when he should be explosive, especially with the combine numbers, you think uh, how explosive he could be. So I think that is what gives Fowler the edge. I agree. I think if the draft was held, um, was held today, I think it would be close between Fowler and Gregory of who would go at the top um, of of this list. And But that, you know, that, I think that's, should change based on your system. Um, that's the thing is I don't think teams should should necessarily uh, that this should be a, a ubiquitous list of every team gonna have the same guys at the top. I think it could be very, really variable on draft day uh, of where these players go, and that that's that's a tough thing. When, when, yes, you probably have to take Fowler in the top three or top five, and Bud Dupree might be able to get that 12 to 15. Um, a lot of times you don't get that choice. It's easier said than done to trade down. So if you if Very you want true. a pass rusher and you're you know you're picking at you're Jacksonville picking at three and that's what you want, well you might as well take your top guy. Um, whereas if they're picking at twelve, they might not feel that bad moving down to Bud Dupree. And I think I think when you then you have to look at what's what's next. What are you going to get in the second round? What are you going to get in the third round? And, and one of the topics that I want to talk about was was one player specifically that uh, I feel like I was kind of late to the bandwagon on was um, Daniel Hunter from LSU. Kind of the another with these hybrid uh, pass rushers, big you know, big rangy player, six six, two hundred and forty pounds, and 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 I watched him first. First, I looked at his stats. And he had one and a half sacks this year, 13 tackles for loss, 73 tackles. So, so initially, I, I look at his statistics, and I think this is this is a, a run stuffer. This is a guy that's going to set the edge. He's six six, and he could do that. 
but I I liked his fast rush ability. I mean, I thought he he had a pretty nice natural bend for being six six, and actually dis- was disruptive in the backfield, and a lot of times just didn't get those sacks or uh, or had some delayed blitzes and things like that. Um, so he's a player that I'm I'm intrigued by in that second to third round range of if you're looking for someone that could stand up and play linebacker, I think you'd be uh, be be good at that. Or you have someone that's kind of at six six, you you can set that edge at the left end position. He could be really good. So if I if I'm one of these teams at the top in in the first round that passes on a pass rusher, I I think someone like Daniel Hunter would be a nice kind of a nice consolation prize, if you will, and you could spend that high pick another way. Uh, but I think it's worth looking into how, you know, how kind of that uh, that horizontal board stacks up among positions if you like some of these players in the top 100. Well, I, I'm with you. I was a little late to the party on Hunter as well, but once I got around him, I was a big fan. And and as anybody who listens to the show knows, I love those those rangy pass rushers, and Hunter definitely fits that bill. He's 6'5", 252, 34 and a quarter inch arms, 10 and a half inch hands. I mean, Daniil Hunter looks the part. And he's one of those players that when you're watching film, he's really easy to identify. Sometimes when you're watching guys, you kind of have to look and see where they're lining up, watch for the number just to see. You know where Daniil Hunter is almost immediately because he's such a a long, uh, angular-looking kid. And and I almost got the impression kind of a, a poor man's Randy Gregory. I think the difference is, Hunter has more bulk. He's already 15, 20 pounds heavier, and I think he has the frame to to bulk up and and maybe play with his hand in the ground and be that 4-3 defensive end, where I think it's becoming more and more clear that Gregory is going to be a, a 3-4 linebacker. But I tell you what, you mentioned second or third round for Hunter, Shane. I, I think he's top 50 all day long. I really do. And uh, and we, we talked about that, that group of, of top five edge rushers that we're going to see come off the board probably in the top half of the first round. But I, I think Hunter is going to be right there battling the likes of uh, uh, Eli Harold from Virginia, Owamabi Adigizua from UCLA to be at the top of that second tier of pass rushers. And we always say, uh, and for all the talk there is in this draft, Shane, about how many good pass rushers there are, they're going to go early and often because there's so many teams looking for them. So, like I said, if we see those top five off the board, the top 15 overall picks, well, does that mean Harold or Odigizua or Hunter, maybe they get pushed up into the back end of the first round. And, and, and like I said, if they don't go late first, I think early to mid second is a worst case scenario. I, I'm just a really big fan of Hunter. And uh, now you mentioned the production tackles for a loss tackles, all that, but only one and a half sacks, which kind of stands out. And, and of course, sometimes stats can absolutely be misleading. Did, did you come to a conclusion? What was the lack of production chain? Was he just a step late? Was he not put into situations where he could produce and pin his ears back and be that 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 sack machine? Or what what was the reason for that that lackluster production sack wise from Deal Hunter? In your opinion, just in my opinion, because I, I haven't watched every single game focusing on him at LSU, and I'm probably not going to. But from from what I saw. It didn't seem like his job was to just pin his ears back and rush the passer. You know that that didn't seem like what they used him to do. That he was, I don't say hesitant, but that, that he he was making sure on play action to set the edge. Uh, he was making sure to 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 crash kind of inside and, and collapse. And when he did, I, I thought he had success getting into the backfield and disrupting or pushing the offensive tackle and, and cracking that pocket open uh, and making it really tough for the quarterback. It didn't always lead to a sack or, or sometimes led to someone else 
getting the sack. So I, I kind of I feel decent about uh, the lack of production not matching up with the skill set. Uh, I think he has more pass rush skill than the numbers indicate, uh, but it wasn't what he was asked to do at LSU. So that has to give you a pause. You think, hey, if this guy's really good at it, they probably would have him do it. It's it's the most important thing for a uh, defensive end, uh, but it, that that's just not – it didn't seem like how he was used. And sometimes when he did rush the passer, uh, it, it still seemed kind of hesitant, like they delayed him for a little bit, that, that he was he – was, really keying in on the run. He seemed to be the guy that they used to not let runners get free off the edge or that he would crash the middle and make sure they didn't get up the middle. So that, that was, that was how, what I felt watching a couple games of his. Yeah, I, I, I agree with just about everything you said there. And, and I think instincts are a little bit of a concern, but like you said, it's not like he was – it's not like he was just this one-dimensional situational pass rusher. He played a lot of snaps. He held up against the run. He showed he could be effective in that aspect of the game. And, of course, any pa- every pass rusher in this draft is going to have to you know, work on mastering the nuances of the position and, and developing additional pass rush moves and counters. But um, I, I think with Hunter, not a finished product, but I think all the tools are there. And I think when you get past that top group of pass rushers, late round one, early round two, I think Hunter's going to be awfully intriguing. And, and I think it's very easy to make an argument that he has first-round type of talent with his physical tools. So I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Hunter as well, and I think he's going to be an interesting guy. And like I said, for me, top 50 all day long. Uh, let's transition to another topic, and let's maybe focus a little more on the team aspects for this one. And it's something I was kind of thinking about. The Buccaneers, everyone – I would almost say it kind of assumes at this point that Jameis Winston, the quarterback from Florida State, is going to be the number one overall pick. But I, I was thinking about it, and, and I think I would be I would be shocked if the Tennessee Titans took Jameis Winston at number two, uh, really under any circumstances. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I think they've been thoroughly scared off by their experience with Vince Young. I don't think Jameis Winston's going to be in a conversation for him. And, and we don't really hear the – teams linked to trading up for Winston like we do with Mariota maybe I mean with Mariota you hear the Eagles you hear the Browns you hear all these teams you never hear anybody oh yeah this team might pay a ransom to go up and get Winston or this team wants to go after Winston so if that is the case if the Bucks are confident the Titans aren't going to take their guy Winston at number two could they explore trading down with say the Jaguars or the Raiders, if one of those teams want to leapfrog the Titans and get a defensive lineman, whether it be, I would think it would be Leonard Williams from USC, but maybe it's Dante Fowler from Florida. Maybe it's, maybe it's Vic Beasley from Clemson, whoever it might be. Do you think, and I don't think I'm not talking a Robert Griffin, the third type trade, multiple first rounders, but do you think it would, do you think the Jags or Raiders would give up say, maybe a second, but more like say a third, let's say a third round pick for the sake of argument to go up two, two or three spots and to get to leapfrog the Titans, get the guy they want. And then could the Bucks still get Jameis Winston at number three or number four, save some money, get an extra second or third round draft pick, which is basically a starting player. Uh, I, I guess I'm just interested. What are your thoughts on that scenario? And, and there's no, nothing behind this. This is just absolutely me spitballing, speculating in my own mind, but just seems to me that if there's a market there, I think the Bucks could move down a little bit and still get Winston if he's the guy they want. And, and if you're the Jags or the Raiders, I, if I were one of those teams, I would consider giving up a third-round pick to, if it got me Leonard Williams. If they think Leonard Williams is going to go two to the Titans, I think he's the type of blue-chip talent uh, at a premium position along the D-line. I think it would be worth moving up a couple spots to make sure you get him. So uh, what are your thoughts on that scenario, Shane? Realistic? Uh, am I spinning off the planet? What are your thoughts on it? 
<laughs> no, I, look, I don't think it's realistic, but um, it, it might be worth exploring if if they really felt like the Titans weren't going to take Winston, weren't going to take a quarterback. And the nice thing is, let's say they moved down to three uh, for a third round pick. If if the Bucks felt comfortable with both quarterbacks, and you're obviously going to have a preference, and it seems like that preference is Jameis Winston just spent you know three days in Tampa and one day at the facility. Um, that's what it seems like. But if if they look at Mariota and they say, well, he's pretty good too, we feel comfortable with him. Yeah, we think he, they're both going to become franchise quarterbacks. Then maybe you could move down, and the absolute worst case scenario is Tennessee folds you and takes Winston, and, and you get Mariota as a backup. It's not wouldn't, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if if they like both players. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if the Jaguars or Raiders necessarily pay that, but you have to think you're not going to get a shot at Leonard Williams if the Titans aren't taking a quarterback, that that's going to be the guy that they take just with, with how good he is. Or or if it's Dante Fowler, you know, that's a real possibility for Tennessee at two. And I imagine one of these one of these teams wants one of those players. So that would be something worth exploring. I I, I don't I don't know if, if you really buy into James Winston if you're the Buccaneers and and you think he's the guy uh, for your franchise, he's going to be a top five quarterback in the NFL someday. I just, I just don't know if you can get cute with it, you know. Uh, yeah. Even without, without the rumors and of, of anyone else really liking him or wanting to move up for him, uh, and it's not just Tennessee too that you have to worry about. But could they trade down with someone, and then your hands are kind of tied? Uh, I, I think you just, you just can't. You can't risk it. If you really believe that he's the guy, uh, is that worth a third-round pick for even the slight risk that, that Tennessee's fooling you or someone's going to move up and take him if they're not comfortable with Marcus Mariota and just James Winston's who they want? You got the first pick. Uh, you you got to use it to, to, to the safest. But, um, you, you know, I'm, I'm a gambling guy, and I love draft picks, so I, <laughs> I would probably do it. But I feel like NFL teams just would not uh, would not take that risk. Well, and, and usually in a scenario like this, I, I think the interesting part of the conversation it would be the Bucks, the Jameis Winston end of it. But for me, it's almost – I'm more interested in, let's say, the Jacksonville Jaguars at number three. I think almost everyone – kind of feels they're zeroing in on a defensive lineman, pass rusher, a front seven guy. But, boy, if, if I'm the Jaguars, and I understand they have a lot of needs, they're still rebuilding, but I think what Jacksonville needs more than anything at this point is building blocks. Because uh, I think the past couple of years they've done a good job of, of building their depth. I think they have a lot more young talent on hand, but I don't know that they have many true blue-chip cornerstone-type guys yet. And, and I just think Leonard Williams – is that type of player. And I think he's, I just think he's in a diff, on a different level from all of those edge pass rushes we talked about early in the show. I just, for me, I would absolutely pay a third round pick if I were the Jacksonville Jaguars, if it ensured me getting Leonard Williams. And I was actually looking back in the last two defensive uh, tackles that I gave my elite five-star grade to were Ndamukong Sue and Gerald McCoy back in 2010. And now both of those guys worked out. They've turned into two of the best in the league. And Leonard Williams is going to get my elite grade. He's the only guy in this class, uh, maybe the, maybe the only guy, but for sure the only guy guaranteed to get that grade and might be the only one uh, c- totally. But I, I just think Leonard Williams is kind of in a tier all of his own. And if I'm the Jaguars, I would be aggressive. I would much rather have Leonard Williams, even at the cost of a third-round pick, than I would, say, Fowler at three or Beasley at three or one of these guys. Because, like I said, I think 
there's potentially fatal flaws with all those guys, whereas with Leonard Williams, I think he's as close to a sure thing as it, as it comes in the NFL draft. So, uh, and, and like you alluded to earlier, Shane, it's really easy for us to say, oh, yeah, just trade down and get better value. That's easy to say. It's a it's completely different uh, conversation to actually get those types of deals done. And like you said, it takes two to tango, and, and maybe the Bucks. Uh, and I, I tend to agree with you, too. I don't know if I – if I think Jameis Winston's an elite franchise quarterback, you probably don't want to get too cute just to try to pick up the 75th pick of the draft or whatever it might be. But I just thought that was kind of an interesting – topic to talk about a little bit and and I think it could be in play I, I won't think it's likely maybe 25 33 percent chance but I think it could be in the conversation just because it, it just, just does not seem like the Titans are going to take Winston at two and and like you said too if they have Winston and Mariota close then it makes it almost a no-brainer to move down if there's a deal out there if you could still get one of those quarterbacks and, and pick up another choice I mean that's that's the best of both worlds that's the best case scenario so uh, just something interesting I, I, that I was thinking about that I thought, you know, I haven't really heard people talk about yet, but I, I think it's kind of a unique situation just because the Titans at number two this year might not be in, in the running for the guy the Bucks are considering. But uh, let's move on to your next topic, Shane. Yeah, my next topic is a play we've already talked about a little bit, but I, I, I want to kind of have more of a more of a value conversation about him, and that's Georgia wide receiver Chris Conley, who blew up blew up the combine, uh, was one of the big talks of the combine. And if, if you want to hear our take on that, you can kind of go back to the combine show, review show on the offense. We talked about him, but he had an 11-foot-7 uh, broad jump, uh, 4-3-5 was, was one of his unofficial 40 times. You know, he just he, he killed every single drill at the Combine. This wasn't a player that a lot of people were talking about when you were going into the Combine or, or, or early in the year or at any point, even playing for a big SEC program like Georgia. And the reason was production. Um, now, he did lead the Georgia Bulldogs in receiving yards the last two years, but Georgia's by far a run-first team. Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb, they, they have a ton of running backs. That's how they operate. Uh, this past year, 36 catches, 657 yards, and eight touchdowns. The year before, pretty similar numbers, 45 catches, 651 yards, four touchdowns. So he, he was barely going above 650 yards receiving. And after the combine, I, I went back and watched him, all right, what did I miss? And I think he flashed that, that big, big play potential, that speed, that explosiveness, getting behind the defense, getting down the field. Um, and and it, it seemed like a lot of what he uh, did poorly was a lot of the easy stuff. You know, the, when, when he would get thrown to in the middle of the field or when he would be uh, real open, he'd try to catch the ball with his hands and he'd have trouble catching the ball with his hands. He'd make easy drops um, or had some wasted movement in his routes. I don't think he was the best route runner. But, I, you know, I wonder for uh, NFL teams – in a good wide receiver class, this is this is a very good wide receiver class, not quite as good as last year, but it's really, really good. Where does Chris Conley fit? Is is he a player now with, with these with these numbers? You go back and watch him, I think on the field he shows that he can produce um, at least get open and maybe can train up some of the correctable issues. How high could he really go? Uh, could he go in the top 100? Could he go in the second round? Uh, could someone take a chance on him over some more established 
and productive wide receiver, someone like uh, Rashad Green from Florida State, who I think is kind of in that top 100 fringe. Uh, is Chris Conley going to go above him? Because uh, uh, Conley is just, uh, to me, very intriguing. He's 6'3", he's over 200 pounds. He's big, he's fast, he's strong, and he's shown it on the field for a big SEC program. How high can he go, Scott? Because I'm struggling. I, I feel like I could see him go in the third round. I feel like I could see him fall a lot further. Well, and you you alluded to the the standout performance at the scouting combine. I'll just recap his uh, his measurables for for those who missed it. Six uh, one and seven eighths, two hundred thirteen pounds, thirty three and three quarter inch arms, eighty one inch wingspan. Did eighteen reps on the bench press, which is a pretty good number for uh, especially a long armed wide receiver, but really any wide receiver. He ran the four three five forty yard dash, forty five inch vertical leap. Uh, I mean, he tested like uh, basically an early first-round pick physically. I mean, uh, freakish physical tools. And, and like you said, people look at the production and, and, and they say, well, why wasn't he more productive? But uh, but I think you have to keep it in perspective and, and watch the system he played in. Like you said, Georgia likes to pound the ball with running backs. Every one of the running backs they plug in there seems to perform at an extremely high level. So, Chris Conley, sure, he only had 81 catches the past two years. I, th- I think Amari Cooper had that by uh, November, uh, early November uh, this past season probably with all the balls he caught with, with the Crimson Tide opening up their system. But even though Conley only had those 81 catches, he did lead Georgia in receiving yards the last two years. He's got 20 career touchdowns. He's averaged almost 17 yards a catch throughout his college career, including over 18 yards a, ca- a catch per senior. So it's not that he's unproductive. I, I think he made the most of the opportunities. It's just kind of a byproduct of the system he played in. And, um, you know, I'm actually working on updated rankings, and I've already done wide receivers, and I got Conley penciled in at number 19 right now, which basically puts him squarely in the middle of the middle rounds. Uh, there's an average of eight and a half wide receivers taken between in rounds four and rounds five over the past, I believe, nine years. And uh, Conley, uh, like I said, I have him 19. So he's definitely moved up. Prior to the scouting combine, I had him on that fringe. I had him right on that late round under priority free agent fringe. And, and he certainly helped his cause. Uh, and, and I could make an argument for pushing him up either. Like I said, I had him at 19. But if you told me to put him at 15, I could be swayed into that. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if, if it comes down to late in the top 100, the guys he's going to be battling, maybe a Rashad Green from Florida State, maybe a Ty Montgomery from Stanford, a Tyler Lockett from Kansas State. And I could see why, how you can make an argument for Conley over those guys. I really can. He, I think he's certainly a more impressive physical specimen. And, too, I think when you get into those middle rounds to a certain degree, Shane, even beyond, say, the second round, I think you're starting talking about maybe slot-type receivers with Green and with Montgomery, with Josh Harper from Fresno State. So maybe that gives Conley an edge because he's just a little bit of a, a, a different build, a little different type of a player. Now, that's not to say he won't have competition. I, I like Drez Anderson from Utah. I think he's underrated. Tony Lippett from Michigan State's a good player, but... Um, I think you can make a case for Conley slipping into the top 100 overall. We saw it with another Georgia receiver uh, a, wise, a ways, little ways back, Muhammad Massaqua, how he kind of got a lot of buzz late in the draft process and, and wound up being a second-round pick. Uh, that obviously didn't work out for the Cleveland Browns, like most things don't uh, as, as of late. But 
Um, I, I could see Conley going in the top 100. What do you think? Do you think he could go somewhere late in that third round? You think, I, I, at the very least, I think he he's moved from the late rounds to solidly in the mid rounds. I have a hard time seeing him escaping round four or five, and that's probably conservative at this point, considering uh, his physical tools and upside. But but I, I think the biggest thing with Conley too is the misconception that oh he's just a workout warrior. Uh, he, he's moving up just because uh, all he does is run fast and shorts. He's not a good football player. Not the case. There's a reason he didn't put up these eye-popping video game numbers, but uh, uh, where do you, where would you draft Chris Conley, and where do you think he will be drafted? I, I think he's going to go in the top 100. I think the third round is probably going to be a nice landing spot for him. I don't know if I would do it. I, I just feel like there's a lot, lot more receivers that I like a little bit better. I mean, you mentioned some of those guys that he, that he could probably be competing with, and I think most of them I, I would prefer – over him, uh, yeah, I, I would rather take a reliable guy like Rashad Green than Chris Conley. But it also plays into what teams need. You know, what do, what are you really looking for um, if if you're a team, or do you want do you need a number one receiver? I think that's Chris Conley has that potential to be it. Uh, maybe he just wasn't used in that way. Uh, so I think you have to start looking at that. Um, and I think it's important. You mentioned uh, Muhammad Massaqua as a guy. You know, I, I was I was looking up as you were talking. Another player that uh, from from Georgia. I remember being a little a little bit overdrafted at receiver. In, in my opinion, was Chris Durham was drafted just outside the top 100 in 2011 by the Seahawks. Now he was a bigger guy, six six two twenty, but he you know he ran a four four six. It kind of matched up for his size what his combine was. And it seems like we we have that a little bit from. Uh, Georgia wide receivers, and it hasn't necessarily been super successful outside of, of AJ Green. That's a whole different uh, platform uh, for that. So I, I think I think I'm a little bit worried about those fundamentals. I don't think Chris Conley's a player that's going to step onto an NFL field, number two wide receiver on my team, and instantly he's going to make a big impact. But there's no question that when you look out outside of of maybe the top seven or eight. Um, wide receivers in this class. I don't know if anyone has more upside than Chris Conley. Well, and, and we've talked often about what a, a terrific crop of pass catchers this is once again. And, and I think last year we saw a guy like Martavis Bryant fall all the way to, what was it, Shane, the fourth round for the Steelers? Fourth round, yeah. Fourth round. And, and I mean, normally a physical freak like that, a guy that big, that fast, that athletic, doesn't last to the fourth round. But it, it, there's just so many options. He slid a little bit, and, and and I think the fact that we're talking about a guy with Chris Conley's type of of talent and athleticism and size and speed being available, maybe in the fourth round, I, I think that really speaks to to what an awesome crop of, of wideouts this is once again and, and the value you're going to be able to get beyond the first round. Everybody focuses on Kevin White and Amari Cooper and Devontae Parker and, and could name – five, six, seven other big-name guys, but the depth in this draft is just incredible. I mean, I think you can go easily go 20, 25 deep and still be getting potentially starting caliber wideouts in this class. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if that kind of has a ripple effect in, and teams look at that landscape and say, okay, we're going to pass on wide receiver early because we know we're going to get one a couple rounds later. I think that line of thinking is probably what contributed to a player like Martavis Bryant falling as far as he did. Do you think teams are going to be reluctant to invest in a wideout early? Let's say, for example, you are the, let's just say the Baltimore Ravens. Let's say they're considering a wide receiver at the end of the first round. As much as we like player X, Y, and Z here late in round one, we also like 
these players in round two. We like these players in round three. And but and knowing they can get a good pass catcher later, but say, man, those pass rushers are going to be gone, or this position is going to be gone. So I just wonder if that could kind of have a ripple effect and maybe lead to all of these wideouts dropping. And and I think we brought up similar concerns last year leading up to the draft. And uh, I don't know, do you think that played out in, in the 2014 NFL draft, Shane? Uh, we, we talked about Martavis Bryant, but do you think as a whole the wide receivers slid a little further uh, than, than they should have? Well, obviously, in hindsight, maybe because then they should have, now with, with the benefit of hindsight. But do you think, as a whole, the, the wide receiver crop slid a little bit in last year's draft to any degree, whether it be even a round or two, uh, because of that depth? Or do you think teams still just pulled the trigger on the, the talented guys when they had a chance? I think it did happen last year. I think what you get out of that first round, I think teams uh, kind of waited that what did the receiver. We mentioned Pittsburgh, Martavis Bryant, obviously being the big example. But I, I think someone like Jacksonville, who's obviously intent on drafting receivers, right? They drafted two guys in the second round. Um, and someone like the, the Seahawks traded down and took a receiver in the second round. I think I think the Colts with Dante Moncrief in the third. Um, I think there's a lot of examples of maybe a guy going like a little bit later or a round later or half a round later uh, than they would or teams just, just waiting on the receivers that they wanted to take. I think it could play out that way, especially in that kind of late first round. I think your example with the Ravens is, is interesting because – there could be three, three, four, five wide receivers off the board by the time they pick, and uh, they, you know, they could look at well, uh, the next guy in line, the number four receiver in this class, or the number five receiver in this class, um, probably not all that different from who they're going to get in the late second. So I think we're going to see similar things happen, maybe a little bit of a gap there, the late first, early second round, and and we start to see those receivers kind of bunch up later. And that could hurt a guy like Chris Conley. I mean, that that could hurt these these players that um, are in you know that that wide receiver fifteen to twenty range that are still pretty darn good. But uh, just no one's going to be willing to pull the trigger earlier than you wanted to. All right, let's move on to a new topic. And, and one guy I wanted to talk about, Shane, one of the hottest names in the draft right now. Stephon Anthony, linebacker out of Clemson, uh, could probably project inside or outside. Um, I have him as an inside linebacker, and uh, you know I, I, I've I've been really high on this inside linebacker class from the getty up. Uh, I, I, from the very first day of the season, I was like, man, there's really good depth at inside linebacker this year, and not only at the top, but I, I think the depth, the middle and late rounds. I think you're gonna you're gonna have some really good options at inside linebacker this year, but. Stephon Anthony, I think at this point it's it's very clear that he's in the top group at that position, but it, it, there's so much competition. I mean, there's talk that maybe he even sneaks into the latter part of the first round. Uh, I guess let's start talking a little bit about Stephon Anthony. Uh, very good senior season for Clemson. Let, I believe he led him in tackles. He had double-digit tackles for a loss. But it, the thing that intrigues me about Stephon Anthony is a, a good athlete, uh, I don't know that he's plays quite as fast and athletic as he tested because, um, you know, he worked out pretty well at the scouting combine. Uh, he had a good workout. I don't know that he plays quite up to that level, but in looking at it through the inside linebacker prism, I think above average athleticism and speed to play in the middle, and uh, especially for a guy who can cover. And I think that's what separates him. We've talked about this with Paul Dawson. That's one of the things that makes Paul Dawson such a, a valuable commodity is his ability to, to turn and run and hold up in coverage. With teams passing so much these days, you almost, you can't just have those two down thumpers 
uh, in the middle of your defense uh, that are liabilities. You need guys that can drop into coverage and hold their own in that aspect of the game. And I think Stephon Anthony absolutely fits that mold. So, so I, I guess that's my thought uh, on Anthony. And, and I'll give you two questions here, Shane. I'll let you talk. So, so that's kind of my thoughts on his game. And then the second part of it is, where does he stack in this top group of inside linebackers? Because on average, over the last nine years, there's just under five inside linebackers chosen in the top three rounds. Well, in addition to Stephon Anthony, we have Denzel Perriman from Miami. We have Benardrick McKinney from Mississippi State. We have Paul Dawson from TCU. We have Eric Hendricks from UCLA. Then Stephon Anthony makes five. So I, I, I think it's safe to say this could be an above-average year for the position. But, I mean, who's one, who's two, who's three, who's four, who's five – I mean, if I think you could very easily make a case for Stephon Anthony being number four or five on that list, but that's not going to equate to a late third-round pick this year like we saw a year ago with maybe a Preston Brown from Louisville who went to the Buffalo Bills late in round three. I mean, Stephon Anthony's probably going to go somewhere in the top 50. Could we see five inside linebackers gone in the top 50 overall? Uh, so I, I guess those are my two two uh, questions for you. G- give me a little bit of your take on Stephon Anthony's game, and then where do you see him coming off the board in this extremely strong crop of, of inside linebackers, not only in terms of the, the, the quality at the top, but the depth. But I think the, the uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I think we're going to see a, a earlier run on that position than we normally do. Oh, man. I like all five of these guys. None of them are perfect, but I feel like they all should go in the top 50, top 60 picks in the draft. But what you said, it's it's not going to happen. It isn't going to happen. Someone's going to fall a lot further than expected. And I guess if I'd have to bet, uh, as much as I like his game, I think, I think on tape you could argue he's even the best of the bunch is Paul Dawson, but uh, I, th- I think those workout numbers will give more people hesitation. I think that comparison to Preston Brown is pretty good for Stephon Anthony, and I think that's what, what could really push him up is that he has he, – he plays a little stiff, plays a little thumper-like, but now we've seen the workout numbers that maybe there's some potential there for more if you can get him to drop and get him to relax and, and, and get him to be a little bit more fluid. And he could be very dangerous tackling, and, uh, and he's, he's, he's a good wrap-up tackler, good fundamental player. So uh, I, I just can't imagine that we're going to see five inside linebackers uh, taken by the, the middle of the second round or by the end of the second round. Um, and, and I think I – think you could make a case for even a lot of these guys in kind of the late first, early second. Um, but I think we could see Perriman fall a little bit. I think we could see Kendricks fall a little bit. Um, I, and I, I think Anthony could top some of those players, even if uh, necessarily in, in like like my rankings, he's, he's fifth. I think some teams could prefer him. I think you know a little bit more of what you're getting. And I, you've seen him do so many different things for Clemson is the nice thing, uh, where sometimes these inside linebackers get lumped in where they're just, just playing downhill against the run. Um, he's he's kind of done it all, where he's played downhill for games. He's dropped back into coverage uh, more than some, some of these inside linebackers that I think are better than him in coverage. Um, so you've seen him go sideline to sideline and attack faster backs. I mean, the outside. Uh, you've seen him rush the passer even a little bit, even though it's not his forte. I think that's going to be intriguing. I think you know what you're getting with him. I think you know you're getting a starter. And it seems like in that inside linebacker position, sometimes that's a preference. Not necessarily in the first round. When you get to the second round, I think that's preference when you have a player that you know what you're getting out of him and you know he's going to be a starter and you know you can build your defense around him and not have to worry about that position. It's, it's 
it's a, a position teams like Denver struggles with. If they would have a Stephon Anthony in the middle, I think they'd have a lot less to worry about. And that's why guys like Preston Brown, Stephon Anthony will be valued. I think he's going to go higher. I don't think he's going to be the fifth inside linebacker off the board. I think he's going to be third or fourth. Um, I couldn't tell you who it's going to be over. I think that order in the NFL draft is going to be one of the one of the kind of second day talking points. Well, and and we alluded to uh, how much how well Stephon Anthony tested at the scouting combine, and and just for those who didn't see his results, he came in at six two and five ace, two hundred forty three pounds, so a thick kid. Uh, and wound up with uh, he ran a four five six. He uh, had a thirty seven inch vertical. He broad jumped ten feet two inches. So uh, I, that was a surprise to me because I think one of the knocks based on film was, and I don't want to make it. It's not like we're talking about um, uh, just a completely one dimensional player. But I, I think watching Stephon Anthony, maybe one of the questions there might have been was, was there a slight deficiency there with the athleticism? But testing wise, I mean, he, he tested almost off the charts, especially for an inside linebacker. So it is going to be interesting. And there's a chance he could be the first inside linebacker off the board. I don't think that's out of the question, Shane. I think all five of those guys are kind of in that maybe early to mid-second round mix. I don't know that any of them, I don't know if I'd bet my life that any of them are going to go late in the first round, but uh, they're all kind of pretty closely tied together, and it might just come down to what type of player each individual team is looking for. But I just wanted to highlight Stephon Anthony because he's not getting a lot of pub, I think, maybe media-wise or, or, or nationally. But there's a chance he could be, if not the first player off the board at his position, one of the first two or three ahead of some guys who have much higher profiles. Uh, I mean, obviously, Perriman's been a very good player for a long time. Uh, McKinney, Dawson, Kendricks, they all have their fans. It seems like Anthony kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but he's going to have a good chance to come off the board uh, uh, right around the same range, if not earlier, than some of his more maybe highly touted uh, colleagues. I, I, I think that he does, and I, I really believe that Stephon Anthony is going to um, – going to continue to get some buzz as we get closer. I know he's kind of the forgotten man right now uh, with Perriman and, and Kendricks and McKinney seeming to be getting that buzz, but I, I think we're going to hear uh, from Anthony in the future. Um, so I'll move on to my next topic as we kind of move on, and uh, my, my, I'm going to go kind of position here that I, I still have trouble. I feel like we've talked about it, but I still have trouble differentiating this safety class and, and really who is the number two safety in this class, because I, I look at players that, that played safety in college, uh, and I after Landon Collins, I just I don't know where the next guy's gonna go, who the next guy is, and I don't even know if there's anyone that I feel strongly to say this is this is a second rounder, this, this player's going in the second round. Um, I know way back when Gerard Holloman from Louisville was putting up the, the insane interception numbers and broke that record. It looked like, well, he, he's a strong possibility to move up. But uh, we even talked about it back then. He's kind of a one-trick pony, and there's now there's some work ethic concerns with him. So I don't know. I don't know if there's a player I feel really good about saying this is a second-round safety and who that number two safety is. I, I believe, Scott, both you and I have Jerron Smith from Fresno State as the number two player, and he's uh, one of those guys on the smaller end, five. 11, 197 pounds, um, a free safety type. 
And even him, I don't know if I feel good that a team's going to look at his size and look at his 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 build and what he's done and then think that this is a definite starting free safety in the NFL. So I struggle with that. Are there, maybe are there are some corners that could convert to safety that could fit that bill. You know, I like a guy like like Eric Rowe. Uh, at Utah, we've talked about who's probably probably his combine numbers were so good that I think teams are gonna, not going to want to move him to safety. You're going to use him as a corner. Maybe even uh, someone like Ifo Ekpreyalamu from Oregon, who uh, way back before the injury and, and uh, some of the issues with him, that he was considered a first-round pick, could be a future free safety. But I, I just struggle with this safety class. And, and last year it wasn't great. I think this year it's not great. It's a position of need for a lot of teams. And I think when you're trying to mock out a second day, uh, I'm, I'm struggling with who's the number two safety and how high are they going to go? So I'll, I'll pose this question to you, Scott. Hopefully you can give me some clarity on this issue. Well, I think Deron Smith from Fresno state is clearly the number two safety in my mind. Uh, of course, Landon Collins from Alabama is one, and, and then Smith is clearly number two for me, and I've said he reminds me of a Jimmy Ward from a year ago. He's kind of a safety in a cornerback's body, but a good all-around player. He can cover. He can make plays in the, in, in the deep secondary, but also physical. He'll throw his body around, and I think if he hadn't got hurt as a senior, I think we'd be talking about him in the late first-round mix, but it, I'm kind of in the same position as you in terms of who's three, who's four, who's five. That's where it gets so Oh, murky. And I'll tell you what, one guy that uh, that I've been high on for a while, Shane, you know, I talked about him in the podcast, I think a couple months ago, now is starting to get a lot of buzz. Demarius Randall from Arizona State. Could he be in the conversation to be the third safety off the board? I wouldn't completely rule it out. I think Demarius Randall has put himself into that, that top 100 conversation. I'm a big fan of his, but um, yeah, it's number three is where it gets so murky, and, and we could have a corner conversion. Uh, another player that I've been driving the bandwagon on, Quentin Rollins from Miami. If a team isn't infatuated with his speed, I think he ran, what, four, five, six, four, five, seven, somewhere in that range. So kind of on that borderline speed-wise at corner, I think Quentin Rollins would be a heck of a safety. So um, if I put Quentin Rollins at safety, he'd be either number two or number three for me. Uh, but the other guy I'd mention in terms of a corner convert, uh, it, it's maybe a similar situation to Eric Rowe from Utah. Where, and I agree with you. I think Rowe tested so well that he's going to get that shot at corner now. And then you always have the option of kicking him inside if it doesn't work out. But I think running, what was it, 4-4 like he did, um, I think he's going to get the benefit of the doubt, at least in the offset. But how about Alex Carter from Stanford? Uh, and and I, I say his situation might be similar to Rowe in that he ran well enough that teams might give him that shot at corner. I think he ran 4-5-1. But I remember watching Alex Carter early in his career and thinking he looked like more of a safety because he is so physical. He's a downhill player. Now, I, 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 I can see if you want to try him at corner, uh, absolutely, because it's a more valuable position and, and you always have a, a plan B if it doesn't work out. But Alex Carter would be the guy amongst the top corners, amongst the top, say, five to ten corners if I was going to move one of those guys I think it would be either Rollins or Carter but um yeah I mean this safety class is is, is just it's not not real good uh and, and I, I think teams are going to be able to find contributors beyond Collins and even Smith but I think they're gonna have to dig a little harder and I think we're going to see some more mistakes this year I think we're going to see maybe some guys get pushed up a little further than we did uh, I think we saw that last year at tight end where maybe Richard Rodgers went a little earlier than we thought he would Crockett Gilmore went a little earlier than we thought he would I think that might happen at safety this year because it's just not a, a real 
real faith-inspiring crop. Because uh, I mean, look at this. I mean, we're two months before, we're less than two months before the draft, Shane, and we can't even really get a good sense on who's the number three player at that position. I, I don't think there's another position where there's that much uncertainty this close to the draft. And uh, it, it, I, I hate to sound like a broke record, but it might just come down to what type of player are you looking for? Are you looking for a coverage guy? Are you looking for more of a, a downhill in the box thumper type? Um, I, I think there's options, but I, I think what this class is lacking is that all-around guy that you say, okay, he can do it all. I think you have a lot of good players that can do specific things very well, but I think there's a shortage of well-rounded, complete safeties. And and that is so important today. So many teams, that free safety, strong safety label is fluid now of, of sometimes your strong safety is a guy that's playing one deep and going back into coverage. So you want guys that can do everything. And it seems like in this draft, last year's draft in college, uh, those guys are really lacking. So I, I kind of feel like we might see some surprise corner conversion that, that gets drafted as a safety, whether it's Quinn Rollins or, or Eric Rowe or, or Alex Carter or something. So um, I, I, I think we're, I think we're going to be close uh, and saying that these guys are going to get pushed up, and it might be in a much different order than we anticipate. Uh, but I, I, that's part of the fun of the draft. So this is a position I'm excited to see because I, I just don't have those ideas. It, let's say you're a team looking for a safety and, and you don't like any of your options on day two, so you're going to take a, a second or a third-round corner and move him to safety. Which Which guy are you going to do it with? See, I, I like Rowe. I, I think Rowe. If if I'm if I, if I think that he is uh, that he he's obviously fluid enough. I think he is the an ideal safety. And yes, probably better a corner. But he and he's a player he'd probably get. He could probably get in that third round, perhaps, and make the move. I, he's he's the guy that I would look for. Assuming like Quinn Rollins is gone, um, and, and then I think that's who I'd go for. I'd probably put it Rollins then Rowe. Well, my final – let's stick in the secondary. My final two topics are on the cornerback position. So uh, a a, a few weeks ago I tweeted out, Shane, that – watch out for Michigan State cornerback Trey Waynes. I think there's a chance he's going to come off the board earlier than expected. Uh, And and since then I think he's clearly cemented himself as the top cover guy in this class. And now it's not a matter of if he's going to be the first corner off the board. It's just a matter of – of how early. And I think most mock drafts out there, you see him probably somewhere in that middle of the first round range. You maybe see him going to the Saints or the Dolphins or the Texans, somewhere in that range. But I think he could go in the top 10 overall. Uh, and, and I mentioned how after the scouting combine, he kind of uh, removed any doubt about whether or not he was the top corner. Came in at six foot and eighth, 186 pounds, ran a 4-3-1, 38-inch vertical. Uh, so, Checks all the boxes physically. Uh, terrific all-around player. Uh, I think we agree, an even better prospect than his former teammate Darquez Denard, who went the first round to the Bengals a year ago. But how early? I think top 10 is a legitimate possibility, and I think the team to watch out for, maybe the Washington Redskins at number 5, maybe the New York Jets at number 6 especially. Uh, you look at their new head coach, Todd Bowles, when he was in Arizona, they prioritized that cornerback position. They they used an early pick on Patrick Peterson. They spent a bunch of money on uh, Antonio Cromartie and free agency. Could the Jets or the Redskins maybe surprise and take Trey Waynes in, in the top five to six overall? I think it's a possibility, but even down, even dropping lower, I think he's a lock for the top 16. I don't, I don't think there's any way he escapes the top half of the first round. And, and if I were a betting man, I'd almost – if if you say, all right, the over-under is pick 
10. I'm not so sure I wouldn't bet the over at this point. I, I just think he's kind of in a tier all of his own at that cornerback position, and, and we know that's a valuable commodity, and, and we see in free agency where guys are going to be getting paid. The teams are locking their own guys up, so their Kareem Jackson's already off the market, so that's one fewer cover guy out there to for other teams to address that position. Uh, do you think Trey Waynes, if I told you the over-under was pick 10 for Trey Waynes, would you take the over or the under? Yeah, I, I think I think he's going in the top ten. You know, I, I think I take the under and say he's going in the top ten. I think those name those teams you mentioned. I, I'd even toss out the Chicago Bears. I know they just took Kyle Fuller in the first round last year, but uh, the the closet's pretty bare on the cornerback position for them, and that secondary was so bad that if they don't value Landon Collins say in the top 10. Uh, I I think Trey Wayans is an excellent choice if you want to improve that secondary. But when you have a player that's as physical as he is, that has uh, the the size that he has and has the speed that he has, uh, I I don't see how he's not a a top 10 pick in this draft. Um, I don't think this is a draft with a ton of elite players, or I don't think there's three or four elite players in this draft. Uh, so I think Trey Wayans is on such a tier by himself at that position that that is uh, that his ceiling is in. I, I think you could go as high as five. I think that's a, a good call um, on your part. I think five, six, seven is a time we're going to start looking for that. In terms of how far he could fall, um, I I have I have a lot of trouble with him um, falling. Out of the out of the top fifteen, yeah, you know, I look at look at right after that. I think he would get snatched up at sixteen by Houston. But uh, you know, I think even with the pick eleven for the Minnesota Vikings, um, and I think there's a couple teams there. San Francisco at fifteen. I think there are a couple teams there that could look. Maybe it's not the the ideal position they would look at, but would look at a talent like his and take him. I think I think he's a top fifteen pick. Uh, I don't think he's going to fall out of that top fifteen on draft day, and I feel pretty comfortable saying that. Well, and I was trying to think who Trey Waynes reminds me of because he's a little different from the mold of the the top five, top ten overall corners that we've maybe seen in recent years. I mean, he's not Patrick Peterson. He's not Justin Gilbert. He's not this prototypical physical specimen necessarily. Adequate, but he's only, what did I say he was, 181 pounds or 186 pounds or whatever it was. Uh, 186. Um, so not necessarily that ideal bulk. And I think the guy I came around to was Terrence Newman, um, who of course was the, I believe the fifth overall pick to the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, I, I didn't look up what his, his stats were, what his measurables were coming out of college, but I have a feeling they were pretty similar to what Newman put up. So that, that's kind of the player I think he is, but I just wanted to note, cause I really do think he's going to go earlier than most expect, realize however you want to put it. But, but this goes into my second topic now. Who's the number two cornerback? And I think, I think this is another one of those great debates of the 2015 NFL draft. I really do. And this is another one of those positions I mentioned. I went back and took a, another look at those that top tier of edge pass rushers just to kind of uh, you know differentiate within my own mind. And I did the exact same thing with that second tier of corners. I went back and I looked at P.J. Williams from Florida State, looked at Jalen Collins from LSU, looked at Marcus Peters from Washington, looked at Kevin Johnson from Wake Forest, uh, and then, of course, my guy, Quentin Rollins from Miami, who I think is probably off, uh, fallen off that tier just a little bit. I think he's, you can make an argument he's at the back end of Tier 2, top of Tier 3, but I, he's still my boy. I'm still a big fan. But 
<laughs> you know, I, I came away. I still like P.J. Williams. I, I, a gun to my head, I think I would still go with P.J. Williams as my number two corner. Uh, and he's another guy who I think could probably – play some safety if you really wanted to but I think he's got enough to stick at corner um can, can really stay in the wide out tip pocket and uh, the guy who intrigues me is Jalen Collins I think five years from now we could look back and maybe even say Jalen Collins was if not the second maybe even the best corner to come out of this draft but but certainly one of the top two or three but very limited experience and I think that showed up on tape he's just really rough around the edges but he absolutely looks the part I mean Jalen Collins uh, he probably pound for pound the most physically talented corner in this draft when you're talking about just those triangle numbers he's six one and a half 203 pounds uh he ran four four eight 36 inch vertical leap i mean Jalen collins looks the part and a good pedigree lsu knows what they're doing when it comes to producing defensive backs and sending them to the next level in recent years uh it's just a matter of of you're gonna have to i think show a little more patience and work with him a little more bit more to develop him so for me that's kind of the race collins and pj williams for that number two corner marcus peters he's a talented kid but i just i just think those character concerns and off the field issues i think they're going to push him out of the first round i I just have a hard time seeing him go in the first round And, and i've checked around and the feedback i've gotten is he's not going in the first round no as we always say, never say never. It only takes one team, whatever cliche you want to put on it. But at this point, I would not think Marcus Peters is going to go in the first round based on what I've heard from people. And then Kevin Johnson, I was underwhelmed watching Kevin Johnson. I know he's a guy a lot of people like, but in addition to that thin frame, which concerns, just played mostly off coverage um, and, and just gave a huge cushion. I, I just wasn't overly enamored with Kevin Johnson. Uh, to me, he's he's definitely off that pace. Uh, uh, to me, the, the battle for that number two corner, it's going to come down to P.J. Williams or Jalen Collins. And then I think Marcus Peters, Kevin Johnson, Quentin Rollins, those guys, that's going to be another battle for – four, five, six. But for me, I think it's kind of coming into focus. One is going to be Waynes. Two and three are going to be Williams and Collins in some order or the other. I'd give slight edge to Williams right now, I think. And then the third tier would probably go Peters, Johnson, Rollins in some order. So that's kind of how I view that, that, that second number two corner battle right now. Uh, you can give your thoughts, Shane, on any or all of those guys, um, or just your overall thoughts, um, on that situation, on that battle for that number two corner slot. Because like I said, I, I I mean, that's my opinion, but you talk to 10 other people, you might get 10 different other opinions. I don't know that there's going to be a consensus, but um, where do you come down on that second tier corners? I, I, we match up with the number two. I have Keisha Williams as the number two. And to me, I, I think I think he is pretty, pretty clearly above, and just in my personal grade, pretty clearly above the, the next group um, with, with, with how big he is, how physical he is, and how well he plays. I think P.J. Williams, despite not, not having eye-popping combine numbers or anything, is, is good enough to take that chance on in the first round as the number two cornerback. But I think Jalen Collins will be the number two corner off the board. I think someone is going to take a chance on him uh, what I would deem way too early for a player as raw and and with as little experience and playing time as he has. He absolutely looks the part of another guy that could uh, even play safety, I think, in the NFL. In our our last topic we were talking about, 
I think someone's going to take a chance on him in the mid to, to late first round as the number two corner off the board just for that pure potential factor. Uh, there's no doubt coming into the year how good of an athlete he was and and what what that potential is and, and the, the success of LSU defensive backs I think only helps him further for that. So I, I think he's going to be the number two guy, and I think Williams will be pretty close behind. Um, after that, I think I think it is Berkey. If, if you took off-field out of it, and Marcus Peters becomes really intriguing and, and I think is right in that mix because um, he's, he's, he's aggressive, he's physical, he's really good. But I, it's just too much for me to trust, and I think, I think a lot of NFL teams are going to shy away from that as a first-round possibility. So maybe on pure talent, uh, Marcus Peters could be the number two, uh, but uh, when you take a whole factor in it, we're talking about draft stock and where guys are going to go. I don't, I don't think Marcus Peters is a first-round pick. Uh, and then the ne- kind of the next tier guys, I like Kevin Johnson. I think more than you do, Scott. He does he does play a lot of off coverage in his thin, but uh, he he matched up on a pretty bad defense and a lot of times on that island and was pretty good at tackling for a size of pretty good fundamentals. Uh, I think he could get coached into a starting role in the NFL. So I I don't know if he's a first round pick, uh, but early second round, I think that this next tier guys, Kevin Johnson, Quentin Rollins. Uh, definitely has a ton of ability and could go late first, early second round. And and uh, we, we've I think mean, you've been touting him on the podcast longer than anyone. So um, it's a pretty good group. But I'll even toss in a guy like Ronald Darby from Florida State just for the workout numbers, that pure speed and athletic ability with this with the size that he has. He feels like a classic kind of overdrafted player who is so inconsistent, had some bad games, but some teams going to fall in love with that athletic ability. So I think there's there's just this big old tier in that late. First first into probably to the late second of corners that you can get. And I think that hammers home the point. If you're picking in the late first round, why take a cornerback? Why not wait till, till your next pick in the mid or late second round? And you're probably going to be able to get a guy. And, and then when you start to bring that factor in, uh, there's, there's, there's more corners. And I think it's a pretty solid cornerback class, to be honest with you. Well, and interestingly enough, your local team, the Pittsburgh Steelers could very well, start that run on the second tier of corners that they're picking at 22 and that's kind of right around that range that we're going to see I think that number two corner number three corner come off the board so not necessarily in terms of talent wise Shane but who do you think the Steelers are zeroing in on do you think one of these guys maybe is a better fit than the others for the Pittsburgh Steelers since I think a lot of people including myself maybe you as well feel that the Steelers are are zeroing in on that position if they're going to start that that run who do you think they would go with if they had their choice of anybody not named Trey Waynes? I, I, I think the fear here is that um, that they're going to overdraft a safe, uh, overdraft a cornerback, excuse me, or defensive back in general. I mean, a safety at that point would be pretty crazy, but uh, overdraft a defensive back in the first round because it is such a big need. Um, I mean, they, they've they've met with Jalen Collins, they met with Marcus Peters, they met with Quentin Rollins, uh, they met twice with Kevin Johnson. I think all those guys right now are, are kind of the corners that they're looking at. We'll see when we get to the, the Florida State Pro Day if they end up meeting with those players. Um, but the Steelers have generally been a team they are going to talk to the players that they, um, that, that they, want, that they draft. You know, they're going to bring them into the facility. They're going to talk to them at the combine. They're going to talk to them at the pro day. So uh, it's usually a pretty good indication of players that they're looking at. I think right now Quentin Rollins would probably be in the lead for me if I would guess 
this is the type of player the Steelers want. They usually draft a bigger cornerback, a draft for upside, um, usually not in the first or second round, but uh, it's such a need this year that, that it's and, and they prioritize character a little bit more. I think guys like Marcus Peters, and I think maybe even a guy like Jalen Collins for that lack of experience it may not be a possibility. So if I had a guess on two, I would say Quinn Rollins and Kevin Johnson for Pittsburgh could easily be the number two uh, corners off the board. And then you're going to move on and, uh, and see that run possibly happen to the, to the late second round. I'm going to move on with my next topic as, as, as we wrap up the last couple here. And, and we don't spend too much time on this. We'll talk about pro days down the line. But uh, kind, of, kind of the most notable just uh, number-wise um, was, was Corey Grant of Auburn, a player not invited to the Combine, uh, a guy that was, was the third-leading rusher on his team, second-leading running back, and, and last year was the, it was the same thing. Um, but Corey Grant ran a, a, a clock by this is from NFL.com, uh, an unofficial 425 and 427 in his 40 times at the at his pro day for Auburn, uh, which is that's an eye-popping number. Now pro days, uh, we'll, we'll say that everything's a little bit faster than it would be at the combine. These tracks of some of these teams are built to maximize speed and, and have these players shine a lot better. So teams will adjust those times. But even even with an adjusted time into the four threes, uh, it's a ridiculous time for, for a guy listed as 5'11", 205 pounds, um, is, is really, really good. And I think this brings up a bigger conversation as well um, of – where where do you take these kind of quote workout warrior types? Um, for, where where do you take those players when you have a guy like Corey Grant who didn't have a ton of college production, was never the starter for his team, blazes his big forty time, is good size. Um, does this get him drafted, Scott? Is he someone's going to now go in the late rounds? Could could he go higher? Um, that, that that's always what I struggle with. Um, I remember it, it, the a running back for Arizona a couple years ago, Chris Chris Henry, I believe. I may have I may have name wrong. Yep. That guy that got that got way overdrafted based on workout numbers and wasn't very good at all. Um, but so I think I wonder how much how much can teams push a guy up for these pro day numbers? Yeah, and a little background on Corey Grant. He was a, a really highly rated recruit coming out of high school and he started all his college career at Alabama before transferring to Auburn. You usually don't see uh, that that transition too often. That's kind of like going from Ohio State to Michigan or vice versa. They're kind of the Hatfields and the McCoys of that area. So kind of a strange situation there. But um, like you said, never really the starter, but he had a pretty good excuse too. He was playing behind a couple of other future pros in Trey Mason last year. And then this year, of course, Cameron Artis Payne emerged, who's going to be a draftable player, maybe even as early as the middle round. So I I think Corey Grant gets that underachiever level, which is fair to a certain degree, but I think you have to look at the situation as well. And, And even though he didn't get a lot of opportunities, only 126 carries the last two seasons combined, but ran for about 1,000 yards on those 126 carries, averaged eight yards per carry. Uh, he scored nine touchdowns the past two seasons. So uh, I, I think it would be wrong to co- label him just a completely a workout warrior. And, and we knew he was going to run pretty well. I had him estimated a 4.35, so not necessarily a total shock that he ran well. But I, I absolutely think he put himself in that late-round conversation with that. Um, and and I think the other aspect, too, that we haven't mentioned with Grant is he's a pretty good return man as well, which goes a long way, especially when you're talking about late-round picks. You want somebody who can also contribute on special teams, and, and Grant has that going for him as well. So, yeah, at this point, I wouldn't be shocked if he went in the sixth or seventh round, and I think you're going to be making that pick based more on 
on potential than anything else. But at the same time, sixth, seventh round pick, it's a it's a pretty modest investment for a guy who's who's obviously very talented physically, who can you can develop as a backup running back and as a return man. And, and who knows, maybe you hit the jackpot if he gets an opportunity. So um, Corey Grant, I think he definitely put himself in the conversation for a spot in the late rounds. But the problem is there's just so much depth at running back this year. It's such a good crop. Not only are teams going to, a lot of teams going to address that position early on because there's so many good players, but there's depth throughout. I mean, yeah, I can make a case for Tyler or Corey Grant, the sixth or seventh round, but I could also make a case for Tyler Varga or Carlos Williams or Malcolm Brown or Matt Jones or Terrence McGee or Josh Robinson. It's just a, a really contested position this year. And I, I, I think Corey Grant, I, I don't want to cop out, but I, I think he's on that fringe. I wouldn't be shocked if he did go undrafted. I wouldn't be shocked if he did get selected in the late rounds. I guess I would lean right at right now a little more towards seventh round and, and I kind of compare his situation to a year ago we had George Atkinson the third who wound up going undrafted and he signed with the Oakland Raiders and and kicked around a little bit but um, I, I think that's the type of prospect he is you, you draft him based on the physical tools and the potential and um, if it doesn't work out six seventh round pick we see teams basically throw those away every year but um, what about you would you would you take him as sixth or seventh round in this class or I, I guess for me I would look at him more as a priority free agent I, I think there's other running backs that I would want to invest a draft pick on. I just think I'd rather have Michael Dyer. I'd rather have Terrence McGee. I'd rather have Tyler Varga. But at the very least, I mean, he's ensured that he's going to be a priority free agent. But what are your thoughts on him? you think he's going to be selected? Would you select him? I think, I think, I think he'll get selected. I think someone will take him in the sixth or seventh round. But I'm kind of with you when I look at this running back list and, and as, as I kind of debate well, I think I think we'll move him up a little bit um, over some over a lot of the other non combine guys. But I look at the guys that were even invited to the combine. I, I like most of them. I like most of them as as players you could draft and maybe could stick on a roster or stick on a practice squad. So I don't know if I would really take that risk in drafting him. I feel like he is probably more of a priority free agent ultimately, uh, just because it's a good running back class. If, if if it wasn't a good running back class, then I think we could be talking about him in the late rounds. So let me move on to uh, the last topic that we have for the show, and this is uh, about tight end Max Williams from Minnesota, pretty clearly the number one tight end in this class. And I think we're seeing the tight end position kind of filter out a little bit. Clive Walford from Miami um, seems to have a, a pretty good hold and, and the next tight end spot. But Max Williams, I think pretty clearly on a tier of his own. So my question is just, just how high can he go? Well, what's kind of his draft ceiling or floor, similar to what we did for Trey Wayans? Because uh, I, I think it's intriguing. Is he a player who is a first-round pick? Is he someone that is going to fall to the second round and won't have any any tight ends drafted in the first round of this draft? Uh, and and when, when I start looking at the first round and really how high do I think he could go, um, is I think his absolute ceiling maybe is – not in the top 20, probably probably just outside the top 20, uh, maybe 22 to, to Pittsburgh. Um, but I feel like I'd feel more comfortable saying where, where I think he'll kind of end up is maybe in that late first round, um, someone like Green Bay, someone like Denver, uh, who, who looks like they're going to lose uh, – Julius Thomas, uh, so, someone like Seattle, who's to release Zach Miller, who has a big need. Uh, I think there's Cleveland. a lot of teams that – uh, Cleveland as well, right? They have they don't have anyone on the roster. Jordan Cameron's gone, so I think you have a lot of a lot of these teams in the kind of that that later 
first round, mid to late first round, um, just outside the top 20 that's intriguing. But I, I don't know if any of those teams are going to prioritize the tight end position. And so his, his floor is a question to me, too, of how low can he go. And I, I think he can fall into that second round. And maybe um, I think he's top 50 pick. I think he's on the top 50. But that, that could definitely be the floor for him. What, what do you think, Scott? Well, and before I answer this question, I think there's a distinction we have to make. Uh, and uh, you and I have been gone back and forth about whether or not Devin Funches from Michigan is a wide receiver or a tight end. So is this question where Max Williams is going to come off the board? Because I think that depends. Is he the number one tight end or the number two tight end? Because uh, I, I, what do you think? I mean, Devin Funches, he ran a 4.70 at the scouting combine. What, what kind of feedback have you gotten? Do you, and I know you've been team wide receiver. I've been team tight end all along. So th- that time just kind of confirms my suspicions on him. But do you think other are now starting to look at him more so as a tight end than a wide receiver? Or do you think there's, it's a 50-50 split? Because I, I, before I answer the question, I kind of need to know, is, is Max Williams, is he considered the number one or the number two tight end? Because I, I think that's going to make a huge difference in terms of, of range. Well, I think it's big. I think even if if, if we say Devin Funches is a tight end, uh, I I don't know if that if that necessarily changes the the complexity of the issue because I I think Max Williams you could argue is close to Devin Funches. So they're, they're very different players and what they're going to bring to the table. I think it's going to depend on what uh, teams need because I feel like Max Williams gives you a little more all around player. Devin Funches probably gives you the better pass catcher. Um, so if you know, I, I, you know how I feel. I still feel like Devin Funches is a receiver even with the time. But um, if if you have Funches as a tight end, then I, I think Max Williams could go above him. I think it's pretty close. Um, let's let's say Funches is a tight end. Let's say he Funches is a tight end. He's the first tight end off the board. Then then do you, do you think we could see Max Williams still go in the first, or is that kind of knock him out? I think that would knock him out, and that's why I asked, because I think we're going to see one tight end in the first round. And and value-wise, Max Williams, I think I have kind of a top 50 grade on him, it, just because I always say there's such a fine line between being 30 and 50, late first, early second round. It, it just comes down to a lot of times draft order. So I think he's a top 50 type of value. Grade-wise, I guess I would compare his value to a Jason Morrow, a Gavin Escobar. I, I think that's the type of grade he has. However, I think maybe even all three of these top tight ends, not only Funchess, Max Williams, but also Clive Walford from Miami. I think all three of those guys could get pushed up a little bit in this class because not only are there a bunch of teams that, like you mentioned, Shane, late in the first round that have potential needs at the position, maybe the Browns if they lose Cameron, uh, the Broncos if they lose Julius Thomas, uh, the Seahawks have already parted ways with um, – uh, Zach Miller. So I, I think there's teams in the back end of the first round that are going to be in the market. But the other factor and the greater factor, I guess, in why I think we're going to see a tight end or be maybe even two or three get pushed up is because after those top three kind of drops off a cliff. I mean, I, I think there's a pretty clear top three. And, and if I'm looking for a starting tight end and I don't get Funchess, Williams or Walford, I don't know how comfortable I am that I'm going to get a starting tight end. Now, there's guys that are, can, can contribute for you, guys that I like, but would I bet the farm that they're starting caliber players, for example, a Ben Koyak or a Jesse James or a Jeff Hireman or a Nick O'Leary? I don't think I would. Uh, so I, 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 a couple, we kind of saw this a couple years ago, too, at safety, where Harrison Smith got pushed up to the back end of the first round just because teams realized, man, 
if we don't get one of these three, we might not be able to address that position in this draft. So uh, I could see all three of them getting pushed up, but I tend to think one tight end in the first round somewhere. And then I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the other two somewhere in the early to mid second round, top 50. I think they're going to come off the board pretty quickly once the run starts. But I think the run will start somewhere late in the first round. And I think we're going to see one tight end. Um, it's just a matter of which one. I think it's going to be Funchess or Williams, depending on, on your view of Funchess. But I, I kind of see one tight end late in the first round. you agree? Disagree? I, I tend to agree, and especially because the tight end position I think is always interesting, too, because we don't have a top ten tight end, uh, the, especially now. I think it hasn't happened for a long time. Um, so those teams that are picking at the top end of the first are picking at the top end of the second. So if you need a tight end, if you're a team like the Atlanta Falcons who pick at 42, um, that's a big need for them. They're not obviously not taking one around one. That's a perfect landing spot for one of these guys. Uh, or Cleveland at 43. Uh, maybe even if, if a team like Jacksonville doesn't get Julius Thomas, they're picking at 36. Uh, so I think that top end around two is going to be a, a great place to draft a tight end. I'm with you. I think I see one. It would, but I wouldn't be surprised at two. Uh, I think we could see teams like Denver that has, uh, since, since Peyton Manning's been there, they've they found a good tight end. They don't have anyone on the roster at all. Um, and I think you could see another team like Seattle uh, take a tight end or, or, or something like that. So um, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still a little bit weary. I think we could see two in the first, but uh, the, the, just the positional value is tough. But I agree. the other thing I agree with you on, Scott, is I think there's – um, Funchess, Williams, and Walford. If you want a starting tight end, you got to get one of those guys. So I think Walford could get pushed up, and I think we could see all three off the board in the top 50. Well, and because of that drop-off, I think we could see teams jockeying around a little bit, trying to get ahead of one another to make sure they get their guy. Uh, so that's definitely something to watch out for. But, but last question on the topic, Shane, and we'll kind of end it on this. We talk about the big drop-off after those top three tight ends. So I'll, I'll give you, well, and I'll answer this question as well, but I'll give you the, the rest. I'll give you the, the rest of the tight ends. If you had to pick one other tight end, and you're, you're bringing this guy in with the idea he's got to be a starter for you. You have a need for a starting tight end. You're not drafting a career backup or a situational guy. You need a starting tight end. Who would you take after those top three if you had to grab someone? I, I would take Jesse James from Penn State. I think is the guy with the most upside for me as a potential starting tight end, mismatch receiver. Um, he has the size to block. I don't. I'm not wholly comfortable with that. I don't think he's there yet. But I think if there's one guy that's going to reach that starting tight end potential, I, I think I think it's him. And uh, but I don't think there's anyone I feel comfortable with. Yeah, I agree. It's not an easy decision. I think I would probably go with Jeff Hyerman from Ohio State, and he mm -hmm. kind of reminds me of C.J. Fedorowicz from last year, who the Texans took, I, I believe, as a third round. He's, he doesn't have a really high ceiling. I don't think he, he's never going to be Jimmy Graham or Rob Gronkowski, but I think he's a good, solid, all-around player. Um, I think he could maybe be an adequate starting tight end, probably the type that you're always looking to replace or do better at that position because he doesn't offer the dynamic – uh, ability that the teams are looking for at that position these days, but I, I guess I would lean a little more towards Hireman just because I think he would probably be the safest of the bunch. Maybe a Ben Koyak from Notre Dame to a, a slightly lesser degree, but yeah, it's tough though. I mean, if you're looking for a tight end this year, and, and there are some intriguing late round developmental guys. I still like Gene Sifrin from UMass. I like CJ Uzoma from uh, Auburn. 
Uh, Tyler Croft from Rutgers is interesting, but all have pretty big question marks. And uh, like I said, if you don't get one of those top three, there's a chance you might not get a starting caliber tight end in this draft. So uh, I think that's going to be an area where we're going to see teams maybe get aggressive. So on that note, we are going to call it a show. We want to thank everybody so much, as always, for tuning in. Our numbers are steadily climbing here as the draft approaches. I think we were up to number 37 on the iTunes charts at one point. So we thank everybody so much for listening. And as always, we encourage everyone, if you like the show, uh, a positive review on iTunes would be much appreciated. Uh, I believe that helps with the uh, uh, helps other people find the show as well. So spread the word. Uh, but uh, we want to thank everybody one last time so much for tune in we'll be back next week but until then there are 53 days three hours 37 minutes and 27 seconds left until the 2015 nfl draft tick tock